Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, friends and foes alike. I am the West Virginia woman, Robin Holstein of RobinHolstein.com and Holstein House, where my guests get a good night's sleep at a fair rate plus breakfast. I've been keeping house since I was 17 years old, balancing the budget and paying the bills as an army wife on the salary of a PFC stationed at Fort Hood, Texas, and as a single mother of two back home in West Virginia. Things have changed a lot since then, but I haven't forgotten what it was like. This podcast looks at society and cultural issues affecting families in West Virginia and in the United States, from food preparation and storage, gardening, home repairs, current events, and more. We'll go round the table and back in 60 minutes or less. So let's hang out and talk a while. I've known Lisa Hayes Miney for over 20 years. I'm not sure how I found her page, West Virginia Cottages, but I reached out to her for advertising. I was building a website for my husband's band, Rockin' Horse, and wanted to promote them with an advertisement. Lisa knew full well that the Southern Rock Band from West Virginia wasn't a cottage industry, but she allowed limited promotion. Then over the years, things changed, and we changed with them, but Lisa and I have remained in contact since at least 1999. She is probably the most diverse and accomplished woman I know. She imagined, created, and published, then distributed the most popular free magazine focusing on local culture and activities in West Virginia for over 10 years. She and her husband printed 18,000 copies and distributed them within 18 West Virginia counties. They had over 100 subscriptions mailed out every month, covering 16 different states. And they experienced less than a 1% unread rate or copies that were not distributed all while staying true to her calling as a writer and author. She has reimagined and recreated herself successfully multiple times, and she's received several awards in the process. This is the first of a two-part interview with Lisa Hayes Miney. I hope you'll enjoy it. One of the things I wanted to do, I'm going to talk about you and I have, um, we decided since 99 at least, known of each other since 1999. And um, you were running the West Virginia Cottages site online, which back in the day, that was that was world stuff because there wasn't a whole lot of, of uh, you know, websites and, and things, especially like that at that time. And so I had reached out to you uh, to try to convince you that my husband's Southern Rock Band, Rock and Horse, was legitimate West Virginia Cottages, you know, (laughs) entity. (laughs) It was a real cottage industry. Uh, And you you gave in and and let us let us post on it uh, for whatever amount of time it lasted. And I can't remember when it went away and I'm sure you'll share it. Then you moved on. Uh, or maybe even at the same time, you created Tulane Living. That was highly successful. You had that, I think it was 10 years. And um, 
we eventually met face to face and in, uh, in connection with West Virginia writers. And you've written some books. Uh, you have shuffled, reimagined, and re recreated yourself over the years and reinvented yourself and very successfully. And so Thank what you. I kind of want to start with at this point is think back, think back, tell me about Lisa 20 years ago. Wow. Um, well, I had about the time that you and I met, the company that I was working for in Wirt County sold out to um, a company in Chicago. And I had learned through the company Hampton Ridge Magic, I had learned at that time how to post video, how to create websites, how to, you know, um, I did their online catalog uh, for, they had 3,500 items. I did a desktop catalog for them, the first one ever in the industry. We provided the first ever color packaging in the wholesale magic industry. So I, I learned all those skills through the company that I was working for, and then they left. Um, but of course, mm -hmm. you know, at that time it was clunky and clumsy. And if you were on dial up video and photos and images were just a nightmare. I mean, everything that I learned then, um, you know, is outdated now. I mean, there, you know, I still have my little snappy, which was a plug-in that let you take a photo from a camera to a computer. I mean, there, everything I learned then is was obsolete very i mean today it, it doesn't even work so i had these skills um from that that i'd learned from that company and i just wanted to keep keep going with them i guess i would say um i started a blog back then um just because i you know as a writer you want an outlet and I know there are a lot of writers out there that write and don't let anybody read their stuff, but I only feel like a writer if somebody reads what mm. I write, you know, kind of like if a tree falls in the wood, does it make noise? You know, if I write and nobody yeah. reads it, am I really a writer? You know, so we went from at, when you and I met, I was in Mason County doing West Virginia cottages. Um, I had partnered with someone on that. And um, their life kind of fell apart on them. So that all that all fell apart. But then Hampton Ridge Magic hired my husband and I to go to Chicago um, to I set up the computers and the desktop uh, publishing and the wholesale uh, inventory. And he worked in, in the warehouse and they you know, there was a zero percent unemployment in Chicago then and they really mm -hmm. wanted us to stay and offered us you know significant salaries if we stayed in Chicago but we just hated Chicago I mean I couldn't drive there the driving was insane you know if you wanted to enjoy the outdoors you had to go to a park or you know you didn't have it right outside your door so then we came back to West Virginia and for a while, I worked at Glenville State College as a desktop publisher and um, website designer. Um, but I 
you know, I, I, I'm, I'm an academic, but I'm not an academic. So I get frustrated in an academic environment. Um, my priorities don't align with a lot of um, academia. And, you know, I grew up on college campuses. My father was a college administrator. My mother was um, a grammar English speech professor. So as a little kid, you know, I didn't care who the college president was, or I didn't care who was a doctorate or who wasn't. Mm -hmm. um, you know, my father was the vice president of Washington State Community College. So, you know, everybody at the college is, is just the same to me. And I still see it that way as an adult, even though I know how hard people work for their degrees. Right. Um, so I just couldn't, you know, I've always wanted to get into academia and 20 years later, I still can't. <laughs> I well, still no, can't. in a way. <laughs> well, I, you know, again, in, in a public, I'm a public librarian now. So that's, that's mm -hmm. education for the audience that I appreciate mm -hmm. um, for practical life information. You know, it's not academia for the sake of academia. It's, it's life. So I worked at the college for a little bit. And um, then because I had done the magic wholesale website and the catalog and that type of thing, I launched my private business because um, many of their clients um, hired me as a private consultant or as a contractor to do their websites and to do their packaging and to do things like that. Because again, up until um, the late nineties, um, wholesale magic had again, no serious kind of catalog of what was available to store owners, things like that. They mm -hmm. had no picture catalog. They had no websites. Um, we did videos that showed how to do the magic tricks because at that time, um, most magic tricks were produced in china but then translated into english by um someone who was chinese speaking so when you got the instructions for the trick a lot of people couldn't figure it out so i was doing technical writing i was retranslating or reworking right. instructions so all of those things were kind of tossed into my lap right after i finished my my ba um, so I had this degree in writing, but then I had all these opportunities in these on-site, on-the-job education with the internet and video and photo and desktop publishing and technical writing. And that really kind of hooked me in to what you could do with the internet. Now, again, back then it was clunky and difficult and took you right. hours upon yes. hours upon yes. hours upon hours. I mean, just think wasn't what it would drag take and draw. for you and I, right, right, or yeah. what we would have to go through just to have this this video conversation, you know, oh, yeah. it just, so, you know, it seems like every five years I have to upgrade my knowledge, and mm -hmm. the older I get, the 
the slower I am. I, 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 I can, I can totally agree with that because as I'm trying to get back and I never actually left, but I was kind of just over here, you know, checking in ever so often. And suddenly I'm getting these messages that, that, you know, my, my, WordPress plugins won't update and I go in and I, I get a hold of my uh, my uh, host and they're like, well, you know, you, your stuff's in, in the back is, is so far out of date. When we update it, it just breaks everything. So, and by the way, the company whose um, uh, template you used has been out of business about three or four years now. <laughs> I'm like, oh my gosh, uh, this is terrible. Yes. So then I'm trying to redo, and it's just been so long since I had to get behind the, the screen and look at the stuff in the back. Mm. It just is a nightmare. But so mm. I, I do relate there. There's there's a lot of similarities, even though we're on different roads there. So go ahead. Yes. Using um, publishers. So my, my time you know. in college. Yeah. Hey, I still have a computer. That I don't plug into the internet, so I can still use Corel Draw and PageMaker. I mean, that PageMaker. That's how I, old, I used to love PageMaker. Yeah. I love. PageMaker. I might still have a hard drive PageMaker. somewhere with that on there, but uh, because I've got, I've got, uh, um, you know, towers in different rooms in different buildings across the whole place. There's so many different versions because I have nowhere to get rid of the stuff. So, and then my father-in-law rebuilds lap. Well, he doesn't rebuild them, but he. He upgrades uh, laptops that he gets from surplus property. And then he says, here, you need a new one. It's like, but did you only gave me one three months ago. Okay, fine. And so I'm gonna... <laughs> yeah. I love him. I don't, wouldn't take him, take him to give him back. I mean, I love it. But every time you have to do a new laptop. <laughs> but go ahead. I didn't mean well, you know, that. I've been, that's okay. I've, you know, I've been fortunate now that I think about it because, you know, I had my degree. Then I, then I got all that on the job training at Hampton Ridge and then I, I went to the college and even though I really um, couldn't get myself in their groove my time at the college when I left there that was um, that was what led me to the opportunity to be a reporter for the Calhoun Chronicle um, and I was a reporter newspaper reporter and columnist at the Calhoun Chronicle for four years now um being a newspaper reporter is kind of like going behind the scenes of disney world <laughs> you know your community kind of loses its magic for you right and that's when i learned very quickly um the power one can have in a community when you work and write for a newspaper mm -hmm. um you know, I got stalkers. I was stalked by this group called the Secret Seven. Mm. They, every time I left the farm, they knew it. Um, I had, you know, of course, people come up and, and get in my face and scream at me because they swear they didn't say that. And then I'd pop out my tape recorder and play it back for them and say, yes, mm -hmm. you did, you know. Yeah. And um, so by the, by four years in, the stress of that position and the awareness that came with keeping um, track of everyone and everything that was going on in the community really began interfering with my private life. You mm -hmm. know, I had the stalkers, I had, um, I was losing sleep, I was very anxious. Um, 
we were getting calls in the middle of the night. Um, I had had, I had done an in, uh, invest, investigation into a state police investigation. So my husband was getting pulled over by state police. I was getting pulled mm -hmm. over. So I just left that job. I mean, I just mm -hmm. woke up one day and went, I, I can't. I can't do this anymore. Mm -hmm. And in looking for another job, I interviewed for this women's magazine and that was being put out in Parkersburg. And I went to the interview and I came home and um, basically they wanted me to do everything. Um, layout, photo taking, copy editing, writing. The only thing I wouldn't be doing is delivery. And I sat down with Frank and told him, you know, what, what they expected and what they wanted. And of course it was in Parkersburg, which is, you know, over an hour away. Mm -hmm. And he said, well, if you're going to do, if you're going to do all the work, um, why don't you just do your own magazine? Mm -hmm. um, so again, I have to give Frank the credit for um, coming up with the idea and putting that in front of me and knowing that I, I could, you know, I, it will, might not have ever occurred to me to just go, Oh, I'm, I'm going to do my own magazine, you know? Um, so we started Tulane living, um, within seven months and I didn't know if anybody would read it. I mean, I, the columnists were, people I knew that I wanted to learn from. Um, you know, I had a, a friend who was about um, the importance of nutrition and, mm -hmm. you know, we are what we eat. I had a friend, um, Bill Church, who knew about medicinal plants and herbs in our area. These were all things I was interested in. Right. I didn't know if anybody else would be interested in those and so originally we were going to print 8,000 copies and deliver to eight counties the first 8,000 copies were gone in two days yeah so oh and then the next I was like okay maybe it's a fluke so the next month 8,000 copies were gone in two days and so then we increased to 9,000 copies and then 10,000 copies. And then, and then, you know, other people in other counties wanted to get copies. And um, we had folks coming up and saying, hey, if you bring me 50 copies where I work in Calhoun, I'll take them back to Ritchie County or I'll take them on down to Clay County. And, and these, you know, were volunteers. And so by the time, 10 years later, by the time we, we wrapped it up 10 years later, mm -hmm. we were printing 18,000 copies, mm -hmm. distributing to 18 counties, um, reaching an average of 40,000 readers a month. Um, never in 10 years, did we have more than 1% of copies left over? So we carried a 99% readership rate for 10 years. Yeah. Um, 
I don't know of any other publication that has that. And you had you had numbers, a few right? sub, a few mail subscriptions as well, didn't you? We yeah, we had about a hundred mailed subscriptions, and um, you know I didn't price them affordably because I really didn't want to do subscriptions. Yeah. But by the time we finished, we had subscribers in 16 different states um we had you know i had one lady she said you know i didn't i didn't see any copies of tulane living in fairmont this month well we never delivered to fairmont <laughs> but she had been getting her copies in fairmont for over a year we don't know how um we don't know who took them there and we don't know why they quit taking them there right but um, you know, we signed her up for a subscription. She was, she was happy to have it. So we, you know, we were running after the magazine from day one, mm -hmm. you know, it, it was ahead of us from the first print. I mean, we just, we just tried to keep up with it delivery wise. Um, we had columnists that please let me write from you. Uh, mm -hmm. for you people I've even to this day I've I've never met um mm -hmm. Randy Bodkins is in the you know eastern eastern panhandle uh I've never met Randy in person and he is the one that wrote about nature and had these wonderful nature photos and mm -hmm. the closest he and I have ever come to meeting is I had um, gone on a trip up to ride the Durban rocket, the the train and the Durban rocket. And I was mm -hmm. crossing the crosswalk and um, this truck stopped, this red old, you know, red 1980s truck stopped and allowed me to go across the crosswalk. And I got home that day and I got a, a message from Randy that said, you weren't by any chance anywhere near the Durban rocket this morning. And I said, yeah, I, I was. And he was like, I was in the red truck that let you cross on the crosswalk. <laughs> Isn't it crazy? So he and I have still never met, ne have never met in person. We are still in contact. You know, we still send Christmas cards to each other. So it was an amazing experience. Um, I would even call it fun for the first five years, even though mm -hmm. competition was harsh. Um, being a female business owner in a male dominated field, right. um, presented some challenges that I didn't expect. Um, at that time, you know, everybody was saying print is dead, you know, mm -hmm. you got to go online. And so I wasted a lot of time, um, trying to go online for an audience that wasn't about being online, you right. know, people that enjoy print or didn't have mm -hmm. access to the internet. I mean, even today, Gilmer County only has 60% of the people who have access to the internet. Yeah. And didn't um, you, didn't you say before we started recording that you're on satellite, you've had to get satellite to. I am on satellite. Have... Um, I mean, we still, we still have frontier because what happens, if we disconnect our frontier internet or our phone they don't have enough ports to service our community so the minute that we give up those two services there's somebody on a waiting list mm -hmm. so if we give them up we'll never get them back 
Right. Um, so, and, you know, there are times when, you know, satellite, you know, there's a storm or something happens. Now, is this Starlink? Can... Are you on Starlink? No, I'm on the waiting list for Starlink. Okay. We are with Viasat. Um, okay. We uh, considered HughesNet, did not go with HughesNet. We went with Viasat. I love it. Love it, love it, love it. Um, I pay for the highest membership because, again, we, mm -hmm. you know, we don't have cable or television. Right. We stream our, our news and all that. So I, I pay for it, but it's reliable to us most of the time. Um, and it had gotten that the problem with Tulane living when it came to the end of 10 years, it had grown too big for us one. And when I first got, I was the first person to get frontier broadband in, in Stumptown, West Virginia, where I am. Mm -hmm. The minute they set it up, the guy called me from the substation and he said, do you want the service? And I was like, yeah you yeah know. yeah heck yeah because you were by, driving out out to another to take you were taking the your 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 disc out to have it um yeah. printed driving the, out <coughs> yeah and people and there's then, there's people who don't realize and one of the things with especially with the podcast that i'm trying to reach people across you know the country and the and the world really because you know it goes everywhere um is that in in places in west virginia it's still very very um underserved by technology i yeah. mean we're still struggling for in in your case you know to even have reliable telephone <laughs> i mean the telephone's been out what 120 yeah. some years <laughs> and you guys can't hardly get telephone out oh, there gosh. So, yeah. right so yeah well it was that was it the they began to just have technical issues. So, for example, when I first got Frontier Internet, that would allow me to upload the document to the printer in Parkersburg. Mm -hmm. But five or six years in, Frontier had oversold mm -hmm. their Internet service in our area. And there was a five-minute timeout on FTP connections. FTPs. Wow. So then, yeah. So then I was having to break a 24 page paper. I was having to break it down into four pages at a time to send it to the printer before the timeout. So we had to get the satellite internet. Mm -hmm. So that expense went up. Uh, we had a year when gas went over $4 a gallon. Right. Um, we had some, you know, dirty business attacks where, you know, other competing people kind of undermined what we were mm -hmm. doing. Then, you know, um, I went to our website, got hacked. I had to change servers. My layout program was PageMaker and it wouldn't go yes. into Windows. Yes, the new stuff. Whatever yeah. it was at the time. Yeah. So at 10 years, um, we had a core advertising base. We were losing some of it to the internet. Um, everything that I had online was becoming outdated and insecure. My layout program, my photo programs were outdated, would not allow the upgrades. And at that time I had been working from home 
for the most part. I mean, I, I did a stint one year as an AmeriCorps volunteer. But for the most part, I had been working from home for 10 years. Yeah. And I was starting to get a little, I don't want to say antisocial. Maybe I was losing my social graces is mm -hmm. what I would say. And my mom and I went on this big bus trip out west on a senior bus. I remember seeing stories about that. And I think it's healthy when you are reminded that you live in a small space and the world is a big world. Mm -hmm. It's a world full of opportunity. It's a world full of beauty. Um, I think living in a small community sometimes you make your small community your whole world. Mm -hmm. And, I, you know, it's limiting. So when I came back from my trip out west, I had decided I was going to get my master's degree. I had um, a scholarship from my time in AmeriCorps. I had um, a semester's worth of income of, um, in my savings. And I really was just going to go um, until my scholarships were up. I wasn't going to finish because I did not want to go into major you know, college debt. Mm -hmm. But West Virginia Wesleyan and the MFA program, there was kind of awesome because they let me trade advertising in Tulane Living for my room and board. Mm. Um, and at that time, I thought, well, I'll get the MFA and I'll finish. You know, I still had a good portion of debt, but half of what I would have had. And I thought, oh, I'm going to be a college professor. I'm going to go into academia. I'm going to be... be um, and so I went back into the classroom and loved it, loved it, loved it. Adjuncts are academic slaves. I mean, I'm going to go ahead and, and put that out there. We're You're not allowed. paid, you know, and, and the truth of the matter is we basically pay them for the privilege of teaching. Yeah. Um, so, but I loved it. I loved it, loved it, loved it. And, um, I liked being out of the house and I saw this little job posting for a part-time clerk at our public library. And I, I thought, okay, you know, 21 hours a week, I can teach two classes at the college. I can, you know, be social at the library, you know, for, you know, 20, 21 hours a week. Get some um, grown up conversation. Yeah. And I can, you know, reemerge into <laughs> the world and stop being a hermit and a recluse and and I loved it and um I did I loved it I loved going to work every day I loved going into the classroom every day um without Tulane living in our life I had control of my life again because for 10 years our whole lives were operated by deadline and delivery mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know we delivered Thanksgiving week we delivered Christmas week we, I mean, in 10 years, every month, we were beholden to this thing that we created that outgrew us. Um, and again, I loved it for the first five years. The second five years, I had great respect for it and I appreciated it, but it had become a bit of a burden on us, mm -hmm. um, you know, because, you know, 
Frank's older than I am and we're not spring chickens. And, you know, I was getting to a point where I wanted to focus on the garden and I wanted to do other things. You know, I just, right. I'm one of right. those people. I've been at the library almost um, six years now. That's the longest I've ever been anywhere. Um, for, for my time frames, four years typically. And then mm -hmm. I go, okay, I've done this. I'm bored. And I'm a fixer. Yeah. I, yeah, I'm bored, but I'm a fixer. I go in and I fix things. And when it's fixed, I'm like, okay, hey, I got to find something else to fix, right? The first time they offered me the director's position at Gilmer Public Library, I turned it down. We were still doing two-lane living. I was loving the classroom. I really, I knew if I took the director's position, I would not, there would come a point where I would not love to go into work anymore. Mm -hmm. So the first time they asked me, I said, no. Um, 14 months later, it came back into my lap because of some inappropriate money management by the person they did hire. So I promised them I would take the job to fix the problem. Mm -hmm. And the interesting thing with the library is it took a very short time for us to overcome that budget challenge. Mm -hmm. um, you know, within a year, I, we were back on track. We were back in the, we were out of the red, back in the black. Um, we were growing our programs. We were growing everything. And then COVID. Mm -hmm. So I had a budget problem I had to fix and I fixed it, but then I inherited the COVID right. year, yeah. um, which you just, I mean, you can't fix that. You just, no, you just, you, can. you work through it. Yeah. Um, my board and I established that our priorities were keeping our staff safe, a keeping our staff safe keeping our services available to the public while keeping staff and public safe. Mm -hmm. We were the first library in the state to reopen after quarantine, um, simply because I, I was going in regularly. We had other projects going on. We had a patio memorial patio built. We had some other things going on that I, and there were people in our community who could not apply for their unemployment because their cell phones wouldn't work with the unemployment employment website yeah and I came in one day to work on the patio construction and there was a guy on the front porch so frustrated he was in tears and I just opened up and said okay go in use the computer talk to my board members talk to my staff and said okay we're gonna do a full desanitize top to bottom over the next two weeks and we're reopening mm -hmm. um so then we managed that. So then we came into recovery year. And the recovery from the embezzlement didn't bother me. Making it through COVID was stressful and emotional and scary for me and my whole staff. Mm -hmm. But we made it through it. <laughs> recovery year was difficult. Um, when a large windfall of money lands in a small community. Um, 
there are just there are people who are in leadership and they're elected to be in leadership um they feel they know uh what the community needs and they they feel they know what's what's best yeah um and there was a scramble for everybody to get money and um I just, you know, there was a lot of politics that year and it really just kind of deflated me. I didn't see the support for the public library in the community that I had imagined was there. I didn't see um, any reason why it should be become political. I mean, it was, mm-hmm. it was recovery funds, organizations were entitled to them. So I, um, and at the same time in recovery year, you know, this, that, um, my mom had some health issues and I needed to be with my mother, Mm -hmm. um, a good portion of time. So, and at that time I had already, I had a column that would appear in the Glenville Democrat Pathfinder and on the Her Herald. Well, at that time, um, the Her Herald quit updating. Uh, They had been a source of historical knowledge, uh, ancestry news in Central West Virginia area for years. Mm -hmm. And Bob and Diane were just getting old. Um, After 2020, there was a lot more anger. They were receiving more death threats. They were receiving less funding report as, you know, life got more challenging financially for communities. So During that year of recovery and time with my mom, I lost my venue of the Her Herald as an outlet, as a writer. Mm -hmm. And I began to have um, moral issues with our local newspaper and the way they were managing news coverage. So I quit submitting to the local newspaper because I I did not want my writing associated and I lost the Her Herald and I wanted to write again. Um, After my master's degree, I was burnt out on writing and I didn't write for over a year almost. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And if I did, it was very clunky and um, mechanical. I just (laughs) didn't have my flow. And when I got it back, when I finally got it back, I had no audience. Mm-hmm. You know, who's going to read it? You know, my 50 Facebook followers, you know. Um, <laughs> that was one. So, minutes. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and I, at that time, I had um, read somebody's stuff on Substack. Mm-hmm. And this kind of goes into where was I 20 years ago? When I, when I checked out Substack, I was like, oh. <gasps> this makes everything so easy. Yeah. You know, yeah. I don't have to build this. I don't have to learn this. I don't have to have this add on. I don't have to, you know, compared to yeah. what we had 20 years ago to publish online, mm-hmm. the, the platform made it super, super easy. And yeah. I still had, you know, I, I have trouble parting with things. I don't, I won't call myself a hoarder. Um, I would call myself a collector of 
perhaps some unnecessary items. But I they're had still never... good. They're still good. Yeah. They count. <laughs> it's not trash. <laughs> right. I had never let go of the Tulane Living domain name. Um, because of the challenges of being online back then, none of our archives were available online. Mm -hmm. Um, I still had my mailing, my email list Mm -hmm. from, um, our Tulane living, uh, folks who wanted to be messaged when things were available or when they, so I still had all these fragments from, Tulane Renaissance or Tulane Levin. Mm-hmm. And I personally, after 2020, um, with the election and the pandemic and the politics of recovery year, all of that, I personally needed a renaissance. Mm-hmm. I needed to, to say, um, the libraries, public libraries are important, whether current leadership sees it that way or not mm-hmm. i had to believe that our small town community um can make a comeback i see it happening in a neighboring county calhoun mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and i see fragments of it in gilmer um so I felt that I needed a, a personal renaissance. My writing needed a renaissance. And our community needs a renaissance. And the things that go with that are things, it's the same thing as when I did Tulane Living. I want to learn about um, finding peace in my soul. Mm-hmm. I want to learn about putting my burdens on off my shoulders, right? I want to remind myself that the the more simplicity I have in my life, the easier it is to manage, the better I'm doing. I want to get back into my gardening, which I gave up when I became the director of the library, just couldn't yeah, can't just, do a big garden yeah. and, you know, can tomatoes for a month, you know, when you're working a full-time yeah. job, yeah. you know, so I wanted to go back to the spirit of Tulane living, but I did not want to go back to print. And I, no. you know, I love print. I value print. Um, and Tulane living was a business that again, we had to make so much money a month in advertising or subscriptions or some way to pay for it. Right. Um, When I recreated Tulane Renaissance at TulaneLivin.com on the Substack platform, it really was just me as a writer um, saying, hey, I need my audience. I, mm-hmm. I need an audience. Um, a lot of writers say, okay, I need to write. Um, I have to be read, <laughs> you know, it's a, it's a background in journalism and, mm-hmm. and I've been writing off and on for our community here. You know, I think going on 15 years now in one publication or one. And you, you actually, um, I, and, and to, to skip back, 
backwards just a tad, you were awarded, mm -hmm. you were awarded the West Virginia Librarian of the Year, were you not? I was um, for mm -hmm. 2022, which was mm -hmm. such a, such an achievement for me. But then I would turn around locally and um, could not, not garner the, the financial support I felt yeah. we needed for our recovery from the pandemic. So which is, I felt, which is you know, similar to, to the prophet not being recognized in his own community is that, is that the, the, at the state level, the organization recognizes everything you achieved. Like you said, you were the first to reopen after the COVID you implemented so many unique things there in that little tiny community library to help your community at a time when you know all around them everything is falling apart and then yet i'm going to offer that the jealousy of those that were looking at you making these strides and doing these things in spite of and you're getting recognized and so you know they're saying well we'll show you we won't fund you, you know, we'll make it hard for you. Who does she think? She, and, and that comes back around to who does she think she is? You, you have really achieved a lot of, even if it's not in awards category, which you have also with your writing in West Virginia writers and stuff. Um, you, you really, you have done some great things. Even if you feel that you haven't, you have really achieved a lot of things. Well, again, I, when I see a problem, um, if I can figure a solution or I can find a way to not have that problem anymore, it's, it's in my nature to, um, fix it. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, and you know, I see potential and I see opportunity and, you know, again, I, I'm, I'm not sure that I, fault our leadership because when you know I mean even though our local city got 3.5 million dollars the community need surpasses that mm -hmm. by far I mean we need mm -hmm. new sewer systems in Gilmer we or Glenville we need yeah. new water you know that's, we that's got problems right there yeah right so um you know I understand why our leaders felt a great need for infrastructure I, I get it um However, when I see that the public library, the health department, the senior center, the recreation center, which we had even turned into a, um, you know, an extra quarantine spot if mm -hmm. needed to be. When I see that these um, organizations, by the way, all women run organizations mm -hmm. um, who were all frontline people for the for the community, as far as I'm concerned, during the pandemic. When I saw that none of us got our full reimbursement requests, when I saw that, um, you know, all these people who had done their very, very best to serve well during the pandemic, um, being set aside for a problem with infrastructure, which again, infrastructure is important. Right. Um, but infrastructure funding can come from other places. Um, recovery funding for these organizations could only come from recovery funds. 
you know, so even to do infrastructure issues in uh, Glenville, 3.5 million is a drop in the bucket. They've still had to go and, you know, request four or five other million, you know, and there were things mm -hmm. that, that I felt were unnecessary. Like, do we really need $45,000 worth of uh, recording cameras in a traffic circle instead of um, reimbursing the senior center, the rec center, the health department, the library for their losses. You know, it's the difference between, um, in many ways, I think it's the difference between economic development mindset and a community development mindset. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things that I've noticed is that you really, a lot of people don't understand in order to have economic development, it must follow community development. Um, if you have economic growth without community development and community growth, you don't have the support to carry and maintain that academic, that economic growth. Right. Um, so I, I I think sometimes social services, which, you know, I consider the library part social service, part educational service, um, you know, part information. Social services don't really get uh, the respect they need because everybody's about economic development. Mm -hmm. But um, a lot of the social services, um, they're, they, they have to be there first. Mm -hmm. You have to have a skilled workforce you have to have an educated oh, yes. workforce yes you, you have do. to have an involved workforce <laughs> so you know um i think that the focus was a lot on you know what can we do for economic development in the future and not on how, how can we help those recover from the right you know, and, and i pandemic. agree and when i while you were going through some of those things i was working with the chemical alliance zone and they are a an economic development based organization. And uh, one of the things that you often heard, which is kind of um, oh, stereotypical, is that um, the workforce that's there are can't pass drug test. You know, and if you can't get your community, if your your people off the drugs, you know, they can't go to work. <laughs> You know, if you, you you've got you've got to have you can't have one without the other. You've got to work to get them off the drugs. You've got to get them educated. I know they they put a lot of money into some training programs uh, for the chemical plants, chemical plant manager programs, but they still didn't have people who could pass the drug test. And then you know, if they could pass the drug test, did they have the education background or education level to be able to step into these into these jobs and it was um, it was the the years this, the eleven years that I was with them. It was really a challenge uh, that I saw all the time. But I, I I agree if they if they didn't if they if they would have focused a little more um, towards the community development because you can't just drop a and and they're finding that out with with uh, one of those parks down at uh, the tri-state area where they thought this was going to be this wonderful industrial park. We've got the river, we've got the rail, we've got the airplane airlines and everything right here. It'll be great. And it's just fell apart that nobody's interested in. It. Yeah. I think the other um, thing, the other thing that I folks didn't think of, you know, especially for senior center, rec center, library, health department, mm -hmm. 
all these people are chronically underpaid. Sure. So when the pandemic ended and it was time for everybody to go back to work, a lot of people, um, and without blame, because I had a similar epiphany, you know, during Mm -hmm. quarantine, um, you know, a lot of people had a change in value, you know, they would rather take care of their own children than have a Mm -hmm. job and send them to daycare. They would Mm -hmm. rather have a garden than bust their butt to pay for spaghetti sauce that prices are going off the chart. Oh, yeah. So the other issue I think that happened in recovery was that, you know, and again, it's it's community development and economic development. One of the first things our library did was provide raises because people didn't want to come back to work. People Mm -hmm. could see that in many ways, working was just rolling them through money, not really Mm -hmm. making them money. So that was the other thing that, you know, kind of upset me about um, not getting the recovery funds that I thought we were entitled to and still believe we were entitled to um, was that, you know, I know that my staff, for the most part, spends their money in the community. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that Frank and I, for the most part, try to spend our money in the community. Now I am an online shopper, but that's because I'm not going to drive an hour and a half. Yeah, that gets to an economics level that's, yeah. Right. But giving my, giving our employees, giving our staff raises um, was A, a way to make sure they didn't jump ship. B, make sure, we also gave them a one-time cost of living increase make sure that they survive inflation, make Mm -hmm. sure, you know, that they, um, you know, that even when we hired that we could hire um, quality employees. So again, it's that community development versus economic development. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the thing with Tulane Renaissance is, you know, I'm not, I've never really been motivated by money. Now, of course, I like money and I like spending money and Mm -hmm. I like having money and (laughs) and feeling secure, but I'm not motivated by money. I'm motivated by a desire to learn, to teach and to help others. So with Tulane Renaissance this time around, it's not about income. It's not Mm -hmm. a business. I want it to be a love. I don't ever want to come to a point where I hate it um, Mm -hmm. or it becomes a burden as it did with the print edition of Tulane Living. But I want to be able to empower others as I empower myself. I want to share what I learn. I, I want to have different views presented views that you provide that um we have elaine who is um all about organic you know foods and importance mm-hmm. of nutrition and then revisit our archives because mm-hmm. in 10 years of tulane living we truly had some amazing contributors i mm-hmm. mean people who really knew their stuff 
and you know this, none of our columnists were paid. They right. did it for a love, right? They loved, they loved it. And they shared what they knew because they had a passion and they cared about their topic. And that for me was the best of Tulane Levin, not just me writing and having an audience and how many people we reached, but sure. you know, the people that I got to work with, the colonists that we were able to empower, the people that we were able to empower. Um, you know, there were a lot of people. Um, we had Judy Wolfram who wrote Waste Not, Want Not. Mm -hmm. There were a lot of people who told me, you know, that helped me save money. Sure, or yeah. um, like we even had household tips, you know, and there were all kinds of people who were like, I didn't know lemon juice could do that. I didn't know yeah. peroxide could do that, you know. Yeah. You know, so my goal is to do that again um and it does trouble me that we're doing it online and there are print readers that we won't be able to reach but you know and i don't ever want to say print is dying because i believe print has a place i do too i because we know um with the um It, it, it's so easy for things on the digital storage systems just to disappear. I mean, how many computers, we, we talked about this a little bit, how many different PCs, laptops, towers, hard drives, USBs have, have we had over the years? And, and every time I knew how much, stuff have... do you, have, you know, how much stuff do you have up on, uh, uh, on, on um, the cloud that, you might or might not ever be able to access again if, if it goes if that particular company goes bankrupt or i mean i've got stuff scattered in so many i places. never store it's crazy i have i have external hard drives or mm -hmm. um thumb drives mm -hmm. on all my computers mm -hmm. and very rarely do i store anything on an internal drive and i don't use the cloud i'm not I mean, I've I use so Google platforms, right? But I don't use the cloud. I still, I mean, 10, 15 years ago, I had a camera with a floppy disk. Mm -hmm. I still have all my photos on floppy disks. And mm -hmm. so when I had a, a desktop custom built for me, I said, I need a floppy disk drive. And the guy yeah. looked at me like I had lost my yeah. mind. Yeah. And I'm like, you know, I need that because... I have them. like eight years of photos that are and it's getting to be the same way with the CD, the CD-ROM. It's getting to be the same way. I mean, the father-in-law put uh, made sure because I still have stuff on CD-ROMs, and um, but the world the world is trending away from all that. But I believe that it's it's going to come to a hard realization that that is so ephemeral. You got to come back to the solid. I can touch it, tactile, book, printed, real stuff, uh, because the the digital world is, uh, yeah, they can, it can hold a lot more, and you've got everything at your fingertips, but it, it's just, uh, the, the conspiracy theorists uh, would say it's one EMP away from, you know, being wiped out forever. So I, and, I don't, and, I'm not know, necessarily promoting <laughs> that idea. I'm not necessarily promoting that idea. I'm just saying that there is still yet a place for uh, actual physical hardcover and softcover books. And 
you know, printed materials. I, I, I still believe that it, it's taken a hit. I do. Yeah. But I, you know, I've played in print. Um, and again, I still, you know, I still do my creative work in, in, um, in print. I still have my mm -hmm. books, mm -hmm. but, um, I've never really focused and played on, um, with media. I mean, you know, this, it, it, mm -hmm. This is my first time ever being in a podcast that's public broadcast. Um, you know, you know, I had to like go do my hair and my makeup. And, <laughs> and we're not live video. because I, I gave you that you, you know, and live I, streaming so yeah, that you would, you, you'd feel a little you more gave, comfortable. Yeah, so, <laughs> so there are new tools that I haven't played with. I want <laughs> to do audio. I want to do video. I mean, I did private video. I did one-on-one -on -one student tutoring, um, but I've never done public and you inviting me here today has really kind of gotten me over this, this mental well, block we're still, I about this yeah, media. You know, until we, until I hit upload, you know, we're, it's still not quite public, but it's uh, because it's not like the live streaming that you've seen me do before where it's just, you know, um, there's no going back. There's no do over. I can't, I can't go and, and trim this out, you know? <laughs> so, and I, Right. I still I struggle with that too. I I am I am bad at, and I'm not a I'm not perfect by any means, but I struggle with the perfect getting in the way of the good and thinking I haven't mastered this whatever it is yet, so I can't I can't move, you know, and I'm I'm stuck here because now I don't have time to learn it all and and so I mm -hmm. yesterday evening uh, I did live stream with uh, Tim Toolman um uh and his wife and, and they're Canadians and I have never met them. Uh, but I, I started following him on YouTube and I'll have YouTube playing in my, I've got the, um, the headband with the Bluetooth, uh, speakers in them. And I pair that up with my Kindle and I stream the YouTubes up when I'm doing all the stuff here at the house. And, um, you know, kind of, he, he often would say, you know, if you want to interview with me or whatever, and I thought, I'm going to, I'm going to take this chance. I'm going to do this. So I reached out to him. He said, sure. Heck yeah. Took a little while to, to pare down the date. And I was a little uncomfortable just asking him. So I said, your wife, I'd like to have your wife there too, because I'd like to see her perspective. And it ended up being very good, but it went two hours, but it was live for two hours. So I'm sitting there live and nobody's really watching. I think there was four or five people. I don't have that much of a following at this point, but that's okay. Um, I'm still learning it. Maybe I won't do it very long, but you know, I've got like, this will be probably the 16th. I think the 16th podcast once I get it loaded up and um, it's been fun. I I'm getting a little bit of, uh, of reaction from, from people, but uh, um it's 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 been an interesting learn and um, trying to reach people that are potential client or guests for the for the for the BNB. So, mm -hmm. but but before I get too off in the weeds with myself, you've got some books out that I wanted you to mention, and you just had a how did your oh. thing go Saturday? Did you have a, uh, a community event where you had your book signing and stuff? So there you have it. Post your comments, do all that boosting, liking, sharing, thumbs up, and stuff that helps spread the word and poke the algorithms. Follow me on most of the big social media platforms and look for my name, Robin Holstein, or Holstein House. Till next time, bye-bye.